ESPN Radio. It's hump day on ESPN Radio on Sirius XM Channel 80, the ESPN app, and ESPN+. Plus. It's your boy Chris Canny rocking with Amber Wilson, and we are presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at AmberW790 and at ChrisCanny99. And as always, tap in on the Canny call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Amber, if you were ever going to call into the show, today is the day because we are jam-packed. We got wall-to-wall NBA playoff action with Amber Wilson's Miami Heat taking a commanding 2-0 lead over the Atlanta Hawks. But Amber, that's not where we're going to start the show today. We got to start with the NFL. And I know we're a week away from the NFL draft, but we got big news coming out of the state of California. And no, I'm not talking about Kendrick Lamar dropping an album next month. We are talking about 49ers all-pro wide receiver Debo Samuel, who has officially requested a trade from the San Francisco 49ers. Per our very own Jeff Darlington, he spoke to Debo Samuel, and he said that he has asked the 49ers to trade him. He did not want to discuss specific reasons behind his request, but he has indeed let the 49ers know his desire to leave the organization. More to come. Now, Amber, we did see that Debo Samuel's brother, Tyquan Samuel, had some interesting things to say on Twitter the last couple of days, intimating that the 49ers all-pro receiver had taken his last snap with San Francisco. So your thoughts on Debo Samuel requesting a trade and wanting out of San Francisco? Well, at first I thought this was a money thing, but we did get reports out of the last 48 hours that San Francisco is now willing to pay Debo. And we know that the 49ers are going to have to pay Debo Samuel, right? He's going into his final year of his contract, and we know what's happening here with this wide receiver market. You and I, I believe we spoke about this yesterday, Chris Canty, with him not showing up to some of these offseason workouts. And we thought, you know what? It's no big deal right now. It is April for any of these guys that are holding out in April. It doesn't smell trouble necessarily for them in the organization. But I would say now at this point, we are smelling trouble for the San Francisco 49ers (laughs) because we got the reports that they were willing to pay him. And maybe Debo was like, nah, I'm good. I'd rather go somewhere else. And so now I'm wondering, is this just a money thing that they're not seeing eye to eye financially? Or is there more to this story? Maybe, you know, who's going to be throwing him the quarterback or throwing him the football at quarterback this season. It's time for Straight Talk, brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. And Amber, I think it's a combination of those two factors that you just hit on. Certainly, Debo Samuel is seeing the wide receiver marketplace skyrocket. And as a guy that's an all-pro and arguably the most versatile wide receiver in today's NFL, you want to get your bag. When you're seeing Tyreek Hill get to $30 million on average annual value on the new money in a contract, You want your bread. When you see Devontae Adams at, what, $28.5 million in new money average, you want to get your money. I mean, if you look at what Debo Samuel meant to that 49ers offense this year, Amber, just some of the stats will blow your mind. If you look at the 49ers offense through the first nine games of the season, they had a 3-5 and record, so let's point that out first of all. And Debo Samuels did not – was not involved in the run game. He had six rushes total for 22 yards in the first eight games of the season. In the final remaining nine games of the season, the 49ers went 7-2, and and Debo Samuel over that span had 53 rushes for 343 yards and seven rushing touchdowns. That just goes to show you the value that he brings to the offense and how that impacts the team's success. So when you start talking about his actual value to the 49ers, there's a way to quantify 
how he impacts your team winning. All you have to do is look at what happened last season. You're talking about a guy that was third in yards from scrimmage behind Jonathan Taylor, running back for the Indianapolis Colts, and Cooper Cup, the all-world wide receiver for the L.A. Rams. It's pretty good company to be in if you're Debo Samuel. So I can absolutely understand with one year remaining on his rookie contract why Debo would want to get his money now as opposed to having to wait till later knowing that there is a little bit of uncertainty with the change at quarterback that San Francisco is about to go through going from Jimmy G to Trey Lance. And why would you want to wait till later based on what's happening right now with the court, with the wide receiver market? I mean, you mentioned it with Adams resetting the market and then Tyreek Hill resetting the market. We've seen guys like Stefan Diggs get paid and get really lucrative extensions as well. And Debo Samuel's up for an extension. And we knew this was coming, Chris. I mean, we talked about who's the next guy to get paid. And Debo's are always part of that conversation. But I thought he was going to get paid by San Francisco because he's such a dynamic, versatile player, like you mentioned. I mean, he's doing things that... Nobody uh, this season, coming off the season, Debo had 10 receptions where he gained at least 30 yards after the catch. That's the mm. most in the NFL over that span. And so Debo Samuel could be your offense like he has been for the San Francisco 49ers, but for an offense that is transitioning seemingly anyways to another quarterback. I mean, apparently they still have Jimmy G on their roster, but we all think that they're going to hand the keys to the kingdom over to Trey Lance. And Debo Samuel could help him in a variety of ways. So why? Why wouldn't you step up to the plate and pay Debo? Well, maybe Debo doesn't want to be played by paid by San Francisco. And so it leads me to wonder, Chris, then what are his thoughts on Trey Lance? Is he concerned about taking a step back? And is he concerned about taking a step back because the 49ers weren't going to pay him? And so then you definitely don't want to step into the final year of your deal and take a step back and then you're harming your market. Or is he worried about taking a step back just generally in terms of the direction of where that team's going and sees an opportunity here where maybe he could go join, you know, like a green. Bay Packers team and be catching passes that are much easier to catch considering who's throwing them. Yeah, you're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and E Plus reacting to the breaking news of Debo Samuel requesting a trade. And Amber, I think you hit the nail on the head when it comes to why he wants to get his money now as opposed to waiting until 2023. With the explosion of the wide receiver market and the uncertainty at quarterback, going into this season, the last thing you want if you're Debo is to have your productivity slip because the 49ers are trying to break in a first-year starting quarterback. We don't know what Trey Lance is going to be. Clearly, Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch believe in him because they traded three first-round picks to move up to draft him last year. But if you're Debo, are you going to hang your financial future on his ability to help you be as productive as we saw you be in 2021 so that you can get your bag in the open marketplace in 2023. That's the thing that I don't, I wouldn't have a lot of good feels about if I'm Debo Samuel. And based on what you've shown over the first three years, being a part of this organization and being a prolific part of the offense in particular, leading them to two NFC championships over the span of three years since you've been there, I would absolutely want to get my money now. I don't want to have to wait with the risk of injury and the risk of my productivity taking a slip because we're talking about breaking in a new quarterback. But Amber, transitioning over to what this could mean for the rest of the NFL, do you see any teams out there that could potentially be landing spots for Debo Samuel? Who out there makes the most sense in your mind 
for Debo Samuels with a trade with the 49ers. Well, I just mentioned the Packers. Now, I don't know if they can get it done in terms of um, assets to trade, but they do have some room for movement here, and they have a desperate need at that position after the departure of Devontae Adams. And so I do think that that could be a potential landing spot if you were a San Francisco 49ers team considering where to trade him. But really, realistically, I mean, there is going to be a multitude of suitors for Debo Samuel like he's such a versatile weapon that I do think that the 49ers will have a really wide market and a really wide market right when we're working our way up to the NFL draft if in fact Mm -hmm. they want draft capital in return which seems like the most likely scenario for San Francisco but Chris this doesn't mean that San Francisco is going to trade Debo Samuel this just means that we know that Debo Samuel reportedly wants to be traded right and those are two different things and I do wonder is this a negotiating tactic by Debo Samuel if this is about money I mean is this a negotiating tactic or do we believe that this is truly a holdout he's so unhappy in San Francisco that he can't possibly make it work there well here's what I will say Amber I I think this is a situation where they had initial discussions about a contract extension and what that would look like and the framework was so far from where Debo Samuel and his representation wanted it to be that they felt like they had no other choice than to request a trade because San Francisco wasn't going to give him the kind of value that he was looking for in a long-term extension and talking about average annual value you can talk about the guaranteed portion of the contract There was something off with the structure to the point where it soured the relationship. And if you're John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan, I'm not sure how you can let it get to that point where you would want to, I don't know, alienate one of the key cornerstones in your franchise. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So, you know, when you try to put a young quarterback in Trey Lance in the best position to have success, you would want to kind of keep a guy like Debo Samuel around. So, I just, I don't know, man. This this seems like a very, very, very odd situation for a guy to want to leave the only NFL situation he's ever known where he's had a lot of success as an all-pro receiver because contract negotiations have broke down in April. It just seems very strange, but we know strange things happen as we lead up to the NFL draft. Coming up next, how did we get here with Debo and the 49ers? We'll talk to somebody out in the Bay Area that's in the know, That can give us a few answers, but first, a word from Indeed. If springtime is kicking your hiring season into full bloom, then you need Indeed. Their powerful all-in-one hiring platform makes it simple to attract, interview, and hire candidates all in one place. Just sponsor a post and get matched instantly with quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed meet your job description. You can even conveniently schedule and conduct virtual video interviews right from the Indeed website. Visit Indeed.com credit and get $75 toward your first sponsored job. Terms and conditions apply. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. And we got the NFL NBA music going, but we're talking about an NFL player that wants to get NBA money. And that's the Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. There is no compromise when it comes to what Debo Samuel wants. And that's seemingly why the contract negotiations between him and the 49ers broke down. But... For more on that, Amber, we're going to go out to the Canty call-in line and bring on ESPN San Francisco 49ers reporter Nick Wagner. And Nick, 
the question is, how did we get to this point with Debo Samuel and the 49ers? Per our very own Adam Schefter, the 49ers were prepared to offer Debo Samuel a contract extension, but Debo decided that he's going to break off contract talk. So where do we stand? How did we get there? Break it all down for us. Yeah, Chris, it's been really kind of a crazy ride because at the end of the season, it was a lot of good feelings. Uh, Debo had just had his best year as a pro, uh, was an all-pro, and the 49ers have been adamant all along, really every turn this offseason, whether it was the combine or after the season or at the owners' meetings, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan have said repeatedly, we want to make Debo Samuel 49er a part of us for a long time. We're going to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And uh, there weren't really any signs after the season that Debo Samuel was unhappy. He actually was very happy, um, and, and he seemed like he was willing to stick around. But uh, as things have gone along here, it has kind of devolved into the situation where it seems like Debo Samuel's upset with a couple of things. First of all, I think he would like to be paid sooner than later. And if you look at way, the way the 49ers have done business with their stars in their rookie contracts as they go into that last year, they usually do the other things first. They do free agency. They do the draft. Then they sign the draft class. And then right before training camp hits, you can look at George Kittle and Fred Warner over the last couple of years getting big deals right before camp starts. And so it takes a little bit of patience. And I'm not sure Debo Samuel has the patience that the 49ers need him to have in this situation. And the other thing that has come up and has come out today, and, and some people have said it and some people I've talked to have kind of alluded to it, is that Debo Samuel wasn't thrilled with all the usage that he was getting last year as a running back. Um, and, and there's reasons for that, of course. Part of that being it could take a toll on his career, his longevity, his earning power, all of those types of things. And it's interesting that that is kind of coming out now because Debo Samuel all through last year was asked over and over again whether he was okay playing running back, and he never seemed to have an issue with it. So um, maybe that's a function of him just not, not getting the money that he wants and getting it as quickly as he wants. But all of that goes into the pot and has kind of led us to where we are right now. Yeah, no, so everything's great, everything's great, everything's great, and then Devontae Adams gets paid, and Tyreek Hill gets paid, and <laughs> Stephon Diggs gets yeah. paid, and all of a sudden, things aren't great in San Francisco. So how much of this is just a negotiation tactic, or do you think that this is truly it for Debo in San Francisco? Well, it's really hard to say, Amber, because, you know, a player's feelings can change, and, it, you know, that could change quickly if the Niners come with the right offer, you would think. Um, I think the way I look at it is this. From what I know, the 49ers do not want to trade Debo Samuel. Uh, they have no intention of doing that. And even as of right now, that is not what they want the outcome to be. Now, could they, could they do it if they get a huge offer? Sure. And we've seen, you know, I think the baseline for what that deal might have to look like for them to even consider it. You know, look at the Tyreek Hill deal, for example. Something like that, I think they would then at least have to consider it. But this is a team that is getting ready to hand the reins over to Trey Lance, uh, a, a young quarterback who has started two games in his career, hasn't played a whole lot of football at this level. Taking away his best weapon right now is the last thing the 49ers want to do. Um, and so you have to kind of look at the whole picture, but it's going to take two sides, as it does with any deal, to make it happen. So if Debo Samuel is, is feeling some kind of way right now, um, maybe the Niners can just bet and hope that hanging on to him and, and see where it goes will get kind of bring him back into the fold and things, you know, cooler heads will prevail and the deal will get done. So I don't think we've reached the point where this is over by any means, but certainly next Thursday when that first round of that draft goes off, if, if Debo Samuel is still 49er by the end of that night, I think that's when things are going to get really, really interesting. 
Talking with ESPN 49ers reporter Nick Wagner on ESPN Radio. And Nick, you mentioned a framework for a potential deal for Debo Samuel being the Tyreek Hill deal. We know that the Dolphins landed Tyreek Hill from the Kansas City Chiefs, but mm-hmm. the New York Jets were involved in those conversations right up until the end. And we know yeah. that the staff for the Jets was from the San Francisco 49ers brain trust, that being Rob Solid, a former defensive coordinator, now the head coach for the Jets, and then Mike LaFleur, the offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. He was once upon a time with the 49ers as well. Now, they were offering two second-round picks, number 35, number 38, and then a third-round pick, number 69, for Tyreek Hill. Could a deal like that be a tipping point for the San Francisco 49ers if an offer like that came across John Lynch's desk? Yeah, I'm not sure that that would be enough. Um, I, I think the Niners would, would want to get back into the first-round game if they were going to deal Debo Samuel at this point. And um, that is that is more just kind of going off of what I think that, that how they look at this thing and uh, the, value, the, the value that they place on Debo Samuel. But, um, yeah, I, I, I think that there would be no sh- uh, shortage of suitors, right, Chris? There, there's going to be a lot of teams that would be interested in Debo Samuel. And while that's a, a solid offer – I'm not sure it's one the, the 49ers would, would want to accept. So um, I, it, is, it is really a fascinating situation. I, I'm, I'm actually still kind of surprised that we've kind of reached this inflection point in this, in this whole deal because the Niners have been, over the recent years, with the exception of DeForest Buckner, and that is a big exception, of course, um, they have paid a lot of guys top of market at their position, whether it was Kittle or Fred Warner. Uh, you know, Nick Bosa is another one that they're going to have to do this offseason that, that's probably going to come. Uh, here towards training camp, uh, Kyle Juszczyk at full. I mean, they've got Eric Armstead was near the top of his market. And, and so they've been doing it over and over. But um, I still think at the, at the end of the day, they're going to try to find a way to get this done and, and make sure he stays there. But if they are going to trade him, it's going to take, I would think, closer to what that Tyreek Hill deal that the Dolphins gave up or yeah, that the Dolphins gave up than what the Jets were offering. Nick Wagner, ESPN San Francisco 49ers reporter on ESPN Radio with Amber Wilson and Chris Canty. So, Nick, you mentioned that Trey Lance is supposed to take over at the helm there. And, of course, the 49ers could use Debo to help break in Trey Lance. Uh, How much of this do you think maybe indicates that Debo Samuel isn't so thrilled to be catching footballs from Trey Lance? Uh, I don't think so. Uh, I, I don't think that's a part of it. And I think I think Debo uh, really likes Trey Lance. He had a lot of uh, nice things to say about him last year. You know, they played a couple of games together. Debo had a pretty big game in, in Trey Lance's second start uh, when they beat Houston toward the end of the season. So I, I really think this is this is really about how Debo Samuel is valuing himself and how he thinks that the 49ers are valuing him and all of that tying into his usage, the way he was used, because – you know, you can look at it in, in a couple of ways, right? If, if you say Debo Samuel wants to be paid at the elite level of receivers, so Devontae Adams and Tyreek Hill, the guys that we're talking about. Well, if you look at his track record just as a pure receiver, he doesn't have that resume. But where it turns in his favor is because of what he is, has been as a runner, as a running back. And so he could look at that and say, well, I am a top receiver, but I'm also doing this, so I want to bust past that number. I want to be at least commensurate with those guys. The flip side of that is, is we know running backs don't get paid like that, right? So, so what is what is the value if you're looking at him as a receiver who hasn't quite have the resume of those top receivers, but is bringing that running back thing? Then you're looking at it maybe at a different level than that. So, I think there's all those different things that are playing into this, and I, and I think um, it has it doesn't really have much to do with who's going to play quarterback next year. 
Nick, really quick, because we're up against the break, I wanted to ask you, how much does the Jimmy Garoppolo situation and his $27 million cap charge factor into the timeline with the decision on Debo Samuel? I don't think it does, but I, I will say this. I think if, if you look at the way the 49ers have done things, and I've alluded to it a couple of times, where they're paying these guys like Debo late, it's always after free agency in the draft. Part of the reason is that so they can get other things like that taken care of, and they haven't done it with Jimmy Garoppolo. So I think in an ideal world, the 49ers would get those deals done with Samuel and Bosa after they remove Jimmy Garoppolo's contract. And that's not to say, you know, they could even theoretically lower the cap number. There's ways to do that on, on Samuel and Bosa. But, but having that big amount of space, uh, getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo would certainly make it easier to kind of accommodate both of those guys in that way. Well, Nick, we appreciate a few minutes of your time. I'm sure it's going to be a busy week for you leading up to the NFL draft (laughs) with this latest news on the 49ers front. Thanks again, friend, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks, Chris and Amber. Take care. All right, that's ESPN 49ers reporter Nick Wagner on ESPN Radio. Coming up next, we look forward to game two between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. Not sure Kyrie Irving is looking forward to hearing from the Boston fans tonight, but I digress. It's Amber Wilson, Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. ESPN Radio. Here we go, Jalen Brown to the baseline with six against Dragic, pass to Smart. Smart dribbles inside the arc to Tatum, layup's good, and the horn! Boston wins it! First thing that came to my mind was how much time they gonna have left, but you know, just happened so fast, but we'll take it. They still stand, you know, even though we know it's a series and move past it, but you know, it's gonna be good to look at the game and see where we can get better. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter at AmberW790 and at ChrisCanny99. The NBA playoffs are on ESPN Radio. Tune in tonight as the Celtics host the Nets in Game 2. Presented by Indeed, coverage begins at 6.30 Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. And Amber, for more on that game, we're going to go out to the Canny call-in line and bring in yes NBA analyst Sarah Kustak. And Kustak, we appreciate a few moments of your time, and we're going to get straight to it. We saw that the NBA yesterday fined Kyrie Irving $50,000 for his nonverbal communication to the Boston Celtics fans in Game 1. But how have the Nets and Kyrie specifically handled all the noise surrounding him going back to Boston and being a part of this series? See, I think this is, first of all, thank you guys for having me. I I think this was part of the expectation of what this atmosphere was going to be like. I think for all of us who have covered games, been to games, those who have played in games at TD Garden, this Boston Celtics fan base is tremendous. They are passionate. uh, But when there is public enemy number one, which is Kyrie Irving, they are going to toss a, a a lot of vitriol his way. And I think we saw that. And I think that Kyrie clearly was prepared for that and doing so. I mean, you could talk about some of the other things that happened, but his performance was nothing short of spectacular. And I think, you know, for his teammates, they have talked about it quite a bit. And in this though is a consistency of, of how Kyrie plays. I mean, we saw it there with, with that type of atmosphere, but I also was watching Kyrie in Orlando when he dropped 60, and the Amway Center crowd was on their feet, giving him a standing ovation by the second quarter. So I think when it comes to motivation, I, I think Kyrie's motivation is 
about being hit his best. And so it's going to be interesting to see what it's like. You imagine it's going to ratchet it up here uh, for game two. But I, I think this is all a part of the playoff atmosphere, the postseason atmosphere and tremendous buildings and arenas. And, and this is the time that these guys play for. So, Sarah, we were actually wondering if this was going to be a distraction for Kyrie because although his performance certainly didn't seem agitated by that Boston crowd, he did with the way that he was interacting with that Boston crowd several times throughout the game. Do you think, though, that instead of a distraction, that this is actually good motivation for Kyrie? Is that what you're suggesting? I I I would never, you know, I, I, I'm not sure how Kyrie feels. He's the only one that truly knows that. But what we've seen is the last two times he's played in playoff games at TD Garden, he's dropped 39 points in each of those. And so I think how someone reacts in the moment, I mean, you know, as DC, I'm sure you've been in that or we've all been in certain situations, but maybe not to the level of, you know, I was there, I'm, I'm sitting there courtside watching this game. We've obviously seen – um, many of these, just the things that are said and, and the reaction that an individual has as a human, I think just changes and ebbs and flows uh, throughout the course of how they're feeling. So I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's any added motivation. That's what I mean. I think it's more, this, this is the level of play we have seen out of Kyrie in many occasions throughout the course of his career and throughout the course of this season, regardless of the environment and atmosphere. And so I, I think for him, his favorite time of year as as most of these players are and those who have championship pedigree is the postseason. This is what they live for. This is what they embrace. This is uh, the the time that means most to them. And so I I think it's less about the crowd, the environment. I think more of it is about this Boston Celtics team, knowing what a juggernaut they are uh, and finding a way to win against them. Talking with Brooklyn Nets color analyst Sarah Kustak on ESPN Radio. And Sarah, one of the storylines coming out of game one in this series was Kevin Durant's struggles. He had 23 points on 9 of 24 shootings, so not the efficiency that we're accustomed to seeing from Kevin Durant. But I also know with recent history and KD following a playoff loss, this guy is typically money. He's averaged 39 points a game on better than 54% shooting. So, What are you expecting to see from Kevin Durant in game two tonight? And what adjustments are you expecting to see from Steve Nash in terms of helping his superstar get more buckets? Yes, you see, Kevin Durant, I mean, he's one of the most prolific scorers this game has ever seen. So I think if we were all uh, all putting uh, some money down, we would anticipate that that level of efficiency would be back to what we're normally accustomed to. What I will say is this Boston defense was the best in the league throughout the course of this season for a reason. They are long. They are athletic. Uh, there is a versatility and optionality of the type of guys and the amount of guys they could toss at him and just how they play, how they build a wall. And I think one of the, you know, one of the most impressive things with it, they are such good single coverage individual defenders and they don't often get beat. So sometimes, I mean, we were watching what they were doing against Kevin. One, they were so physical, not just when he had the ball, but off the ball, coming off screen. I mean, there was a, a body, a bump. Uh, there was always someone in his airspace. And I think they were trying to do the same thing to him on the defensive end of the screens and the amount of actions they were running him through. And that was one part of it. And another thing, they did an excellent job. I mean, we saw a lot of doubles on him, but there was also shading. There was always one guy away, the readers in the back getting ready and and anticipating. And the amount of scouting that went into it is you expect in in a series like this of getting some strips and playing for the reverse and just all the moves that they know 
he can do, uh, they were very ready for. What I've seen out of Kevin Durant, he's one of the most skilled players we have seen. And, and obviously, a lot of that comes from his skill set, his size, but he is a brilliant basketball mind. And so he understands how to look at film, what he can study, how he reads in defense, um, and the adjustments that he's able to make. And I do think he, you're spot on just with Steve Nash's coaching staff, other players. A lot of it, too, is just uh, the continued movement and off-ball actions and how they can get some others involved. And, and not just about the, the shot quantity and volume of some of these other players, but also just the amount of touches and trying to rotate and shift this Boston defense to loosen things up than for Kevin to potentially get some cleaner looks. Uh, because overall, you know, Durant will be able to get to his spots. He'll be able to get his shots off. I think, you know, he, he'll come through uh, with a higher level of efficiency. But a lot of this, you know, give a lot of credit to that Boston defense of just how physical and ready they were with their game plan to play. So, Sarah, they need some more out of KD, and they'll get it. Another player that they could maybe use some more from is a player we haven't even seen play for the Brooklyn Nets. I have to ask you about Ben Simmons. Is Game 4 realistic in terms of eyeing a return for Simmons, and how will that affect this series? Amber, I'd be the most popular person in the world if I had a a clear answer to that. But I think, you know, I think the way it's trending, and I think how it's looking, Um, there is a lot of optimism for that. And a lot of it came from the fact that he did his first full contact four-on-four play on Monday here in Boston at practice and just the response level of his body, how he feels, and how he will continue to be able uh, to go about some of that here in in the coming days. And overall, you know, I think with Ben, the, the big thing with him once, he can be available and he's ready to be back on the floor. I think there's clearly a lot of question marks of um, how he'll fit and what he'll be able to give, given the fact that he's not played since the postseason last year. So I think for any player, uh, the concept of, you know, there, there is an uptick in the level of intensity that you see from preseason to, you know, you're doing scrimmage action in practice, a preseason game, a regular season game, not to mention a postseason game in, in one of this caliber with this first-round series. It certainly doesn't feel like that. Uh, but what Ben brings to the table is size, you know, his defensive presence and what he can do in, in maybe small spurts. And I think that's the hope of just pushing the pace, being a ball handler, his ability to pass. Um, how he can bring a tall, bigger body on the defensive end. I think there's a lot of things that, you know, Brooklyn is hopeful for of what he'll be able to do, what he can add to the table. But I do think they're, you know, the level of expectation of that is is very fluid because this is an individual that still, one, is working to get back on the floor and two, how that looks when you're coming into the playoffs and the type of atmosphere and the type of intensity that a game like that brings. Well, Kustak, we appreciate you jumping on and getting us primed for tonight's game, too, against uh, with the Nets and the Celtics. And want to make sure that we encourage you to be a friend of the program. You need to come on our show a little more often. I'm just saying. Hey, seriously, this yeah, is I'm the just first invite I there. got. So, yeah, Amber, yeah. I, maybe this is Amber's side uh, pulling me through, but I'm always available for you guys. <laughs> right, well, you we are always welcome, it. Sarah. We'll talk to you again right. soon. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right, that's Brooklyn Nets color analyst Sarah Kustak jumping on ESPN Radio. And we want to remind you guys to tune into the NBA playoffs tonight right here on ESPN Radio. The Celtics host the Nets, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins at 6.30 Eastern on most ESPN Radio stations. Coming up next, why one Lakers legend has a problem with what HBO is doing with their new show, Winning Time. 
Amber and I'll explain. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canning on ESPN Radio and E+. And Amber, I don't know why my Lakers insist on staying in the news and not in a positive way. Last week we had Russell Westbrook taking shots at Frank Vogel and LeBron James and Anthony Davis. This week we have former Lakers executive Jerry West taking shots at HBO per our very own Ramona Shelburne. Former Los Angeles Lakers executive Jerry West demanded a retraction and an apology for what he called a baseless and malicious assault on his character in the HBO series Winning Time. It was a letter sent by his legal team to the network and the producers. The lawyers for Jerry West say that Winning Time falsely and cruelly portrays Mr. West in the letter that he sent includes statements from players like Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Cooper, Jamal Wilkes, as well as Lakers employees such as Claire Rothman, Charlene Kinney, Bob Steiner, and Mitch Kupchak, who all worked for West with the Lakers during that period of time that the show covers. So your thoughts on Jerry West going after HBO in winning time. Well, I'm not surprised if he doesn't like how he is portrayed here. And of course, his lawyers are going to take the position that HBO's disclaimer that the series is a dramatization, you know, isn't enough. And so they are demanding with their demand letter, I guess, some sort of an apology from HBO, I guess, to show the public that, hey, this isn't accurate. This isn't an accurate portrayal of Jerry West. It seems like from his letter that what he's really taking issue with here, and you've watched this show, so really you can speak on this much better than I can because you're really into this series. But apparently he has a big problem with them showing him throwing things and getting angry like the temper tantrums that it apparently portrays him as having which he says he never had at all and that's nothing like his demeanor at all when he ran this organization do you think that this series paints him in a bad light is that what you've gotten from this well it ain't great because it shows him breaking golf clubs on the golf course it talks about how he didn't want uh, Magic Johnson and how he wanted Sidney Moncrief. And then it talks about, it shows him actually throwing his finals MVP trophy. You know, the finals MVP that he actually won when his team lost to the Boston Celtics. It shows him throwing that out of his office window. Like all of those things don't come off great. But at the same time, for, from an entertainment value standpoint, it's so great. It really is. And so while this is a lot of folks' first introduction into Jerry West because not a lot of people know that he was one of the chief architects for the Lakers, for the Clippers, and for the Golden State Warriors, um, this certainly doesn't paint him in the best light. But at the same time, it's only entertainment, Jerry. It's only entertainment. Don't take yourself too seriously because the show is really, really good. ESPN Radio. You hear that, Amber? That's the sound of us getting ready to introduce a segment where you can go off about your Miami Heat. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN+. Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And Amber, I said it yesterday before they tipped the game off, this series between the Hawks and the Heat is over. Nate McMillan and the Atlanta Hawks just don't know that. But this series is over. And the guy that let us know that this series was over was Jimmy Butler last night, dropping 45 points, 15 to 25 shooting, and 11 to 12 from the free throw line. The dude went absolutely bananas. And you talk about a team that separated themselves after the first half. It was a two-point game at halftime. 
and the Miami Heat put the pedal to the metal in the second half, and you just saw that the Atlanta Hawks didn't have that extra gear. So I'm interested to hear your take from last night's game and your thoughts on what the complexion of this series is going to look like as it shifts to Atlanta. It was cute that the Hawks tried to keep it close for a half, wasn't it? That was adorable, wasn't it? I mean, they pretended like they were going to make this a series. It was so cute, Chris Canty. I was actually coming off of game one, a little nervous from the sense that it felt too good to be true. I didn't understand how the Hawks were as terrible as they were, or frankly, as how the Heat were quite as dominant as they were. Like the game one, it felt like was in a vacuum. Game two, to me, has been a better barometer, I think, for what is to come in this series, where game two, the Hawks threw everything they had at the Heat, And they were still outmatched because the Heat are the better team. They're the better coach team. They're the better conditioned team. They're the better team. And they're out there all four quarters. Whereas with the Hawks, they came to play and they came to play for a half. And then things became very adult in the second half and the Hawks are going to learn. And that's exactly what I felt like happened in the second (laughs) half when the hot, when the Heat came out to a 10, nothing uh, winning or uh, scoring streak there in the second half, the Hawks didn't have an answer. And then they didn't have an answer uh, as the game moved forward. I've been very, very high on Trey Young. I'm still very, very high on Trey Young. But you did see points last night where his game still has some room for growth here and some room for maturity. He takes some pretty ugly-looking shots, and I think sometimes he's been rewarded for doing that. But he's up against a very formidable opponent here in the Miami Heat. And otherwise, around him, they're just outmatched by this team. Jimmy Butler was unconscious last night. And, Chris, it reminded me of, what was it, Game 5 of the 20? 2020 NBA finals when he's, you know, hunched over the scores table and it's like the most prolific uh, performance in NBA finals history or, you know, let a heat fan tell it anyways. And we all remember that moment, but what was different about last night is that he didn't have that exhaustion because as insane as he was, he doesn't have to do it all out there anymore. Like he had to do it in that finals run. He has the help around him, namely Kyle Lowry and then everybody else as well. Don't forget during that finals with Goran Dragic was injured and Bam had his injury issues and he didn't have Lowry on that team and Tyler Hero wasn't the Tyler Hero that we now know he was butting into that back then but he wasn't the Tyler Hero that we now know it has all worked out perfectly here this season now for the Heat who have been dominating the East the entire season long and nobody has been talking about this Miami Heat team so they'll quietly continue to go handle their business. No doubt about it and the thing that I love about this Miami Heat team Amber is the mentality. They have six or seven guys that are undrafted on this team and they work every single game like they have something to prove so I love it. 